Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker. The pro wrestling world is currently on fire. And so we've got you covered five days a week on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Every Monday and Thursday, hang out with me and Kaz on the Masked Man Show. And this is Peter Rosenberg, the host of Cheap Heat. Join me and my guys, that guy Greg and Dipperstein, on Tuesdays and Fridays. We talk wrestling, we have bagel breakdowns, mage interviews, and so much more. And Ben Cruz here. Come kick it with me, Cal, and Brian on Wednesday Worldwide, where we hit the most interesting headlines and even react to some of Mass Man's, Cheap Heats, or even your hottest takes. Don't tap out, tap in to the Ringer Wrestling Show feed, now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay mage, everyone. Worldwide. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We are at the All-Star break. The Celtics, of course, the best team in the NBA. So I figured we'd do some grades on how each player has been at the All-Star break or at this point in the season. Joining us now from Mass Live and still potable, it is Brian Robb. B-Rob, what's going on, man? How are you? It's good. Really, I think the, the team's happy for this break. I'm happy for this break because uh, they're certainly in a in a great spot here when you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference right now to uh, recharge the batteries here. Yeah, I think the Nets were ready for the All-Star break after watching <laughs> them on Wednesday night. I was like, dude, <laughs> that was embarrassing. I don't know what that organization is doing. I'm so glad that I'm a fan of the Celtics and not the Nets. And I talk about the Celtics on a daily basis. And geez, I mean, that is just, that was that product that they're putting out there is just, and I don't know what they're doing. Like they kept pretty much most of their guys at the trading deadline with the exception of Royce O'Neal. That team is a disaster. Yeah, it's a bit of a mystery there. They're big bets like Bridges hasn't taken the next step and it's like, oh, well, at least they have their picks. And you're like, oh, they don't even have that now. So it's like, oof. But uh, that's not the Celtics problem and luckily not your problem on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how I would talk about the Nets. All right, so I figure we go through some of these guys, the starting five and the head coach, of course, Joe Missoula and look at the grades. So I'll start with Tatum here, B-Rob. And it feels like to me recently, I was just thinking about this last night and I was thinking back to Tatum's career and I go back to February of 2020. He had this stretch where he had 41 against the Lakers, 36 against Portland, 32 against Utah, 32 against Houston. Previously, they he had gone for 39 against the Clippers. So he was on this insane stretch before the COVID break. And then when he came out of COVID, he, he was like jacked, like he put on weight like before he got to the bubble. But one of the things that stuck out to me at that point is he took a step forward. And then I go back to 2022, the year the Celtics made the finals, I would say he took another step forward. He got bigger. He was getting to the free throw line a little bit more. And he just looked like more of a complete player, especially on the defensive end. And now recently, I look at these last six games, 29.3 points, 9.7 rebounds, 7.5 assists. Those numbers are up from the previous 46 of 8.4 rebounds and 4.4 assists. 
Now, he is getting, I don't want to say lucky, but the shots are falling for his teammates more. The potential assists are up, but not like super high up. But I do think that his playmaking has been better. His effective field goal percentage has gone up during that stretch as well. And the one other thing that I look at with Tatum is the last 26 games, his pull-up threes. He's 59 of 151, 39.1%. The previous 26 games, 28.9%. This has been the issue with Tatum throughout his career is the pull-up. It looks good, but it doesn't go down. Like you look at last postseason, 34%. The last season, 29.1%. 2022 postseason, 33%. 2021, 2022 season, 33.4%. So I think he's definitely taken a step forward as a playmaker. And this is like, I gave the first 26 games and the second 26 games. I think he's found something now with his pull-up shooting where I go back to the finals year. The second half of the season, he shot the pull-up three better as well. So I'm wondering now, like, I give him, so I give him an A. Like, I think he's been great defensively. His raw numbers in terms of scoring are down a little bit, but he's taking less shots than he was a year ago. I think he's been tremendous, and I'm really interested to monitor that pull-up shooting because if he has the pull-up three going, I think he's pretty much, like, it's very difficult to defend him with what he's doing in the post now and the fact that he is just bullying smaller defenders. Yeah, the, the post has been phenomenal for him, um, just as a whole, in terms of picking his spots down there. I went with an A minus just because of that three point shooting you pointed out. Um, he's really come around with it lately, but it was really rough at points in the first half of the you know the first half of the first half of the season, if you will. Here, um, and but by and large, kind of across the board, he's been you know as good, if not better, than he's been in his entire career. Like tying his. Career high in field goal percentage right now. Turnovers are down. Rebounding is where you want it to be. 8.6. I think really carrying a nice load there. Career high, 4.8 assists per game. So he's he's doing it all. And I think the maturation we're kind of seeing in this over the course of this six-game uh, winning streak heading into the All-Star break here, Ryan, is that like, Brian, he's like kind of just doing whatever the team needs on a nightly basis where he'll go for 31 in that game against the Nets in the first half. And then the second half, she's like, all right, I'm just going to be the facilitator now because they're throwing doubles at me and just making the right decision time after time. So to me now, when you're playing at this level with him, it's it's just the, is the three going down? And at 36%, that there is a little bit of room for improvement there. But by and large, I'm with you. It's been a lot of really good science here, especially of late. Yeah, it's a great point too on he does whatever the team needs now. It's like, hey, you want to go cover Shea? Go cover Shea. Like I'll take on Shea for a little bit, even though they didn't win that game. I keep bringing that up as like a sign of him maturing. And you're right, like, Watching that Nets game on Wednesday, and look, the Nets were willing opponents to give up a lot of points, but he's like, oh, yeah, you guys, you guys are going to do all this stuff to me. You know what? I'm going to have four assists in like the first three minutes of the game. So I do like that. It seems like he's got a much better feel for the game than he's had in the past. I would even say like his his handle's tighter than it's been in the past, too. Like his handle's improved a ton since he's gotten into the league, but I think it's even better than it's been in previous years. Okay. Jalen is a tough one for me because he's been horrible in February, and I know it's only five games, but... It, he has just one 20-point game this month. 16 points. He's 4 of 20 from deep. Now, his assists are up this month to 4.4 assists, but he's also averaging 3.6 turnovers, the ninth most in the league. And you could say, well, hey, Brian, he's handling the ball a lot. Well, Tatum is at 1.9, and Derek White's at 1.9. They handle the ball a lot too, right? <laughs> like, this is this is a Jalen problem. This isn't a usage problem. And by the way, he's a minus 26 when everybody else in the team is in the positives. And look, He's hurt by not playing in that Brooklyn game on Wednesday. That would certainly help <laughs> yeah. the plus. That would help, the 100-point that would help, swing. Yeah, that would help the plus minus. But he's basically had one good shooting month from three-point territory, and that was December 38.5, November 31.6, January 33.8, and as we said, February, it's just been horrible, 20%. Now, he's down in terms of the overall points. You would expect that in terms of what the new teammates they have and Chris Stops and Drew. His two-point percentage is slightly down. His assists are slightly up total on the season from 3.5 to 3.7. His two-point pull-up game is still good, 50.5%. Three is just 33.6%. He's still been good in terms of the short mid-range. But the thing is, like, he had this stretch where I thought he was playing the best basketball of his career. And I feel like now he's tailed back to what he was doing at the beginning of the season. And the on-off numbers that were really good aren't anymore. Like, the on numbers are fine. The offense, 119.6, 75th percentile. But... The numbers in terms of the rating, it's 6.6 worse when he's on the court or off the court compared to on the court. So just for like, and I do give him a ton of credit. I think the playmaking's been better, although the turnovers have come up the past couple of games. 
I do think his defense has been a lot better this season than it's been in previous seasons, even if some of like the outlying numbers don't indicate that he's taking on more matchups. But I don't know. I just feel like it's kind of been a streaky season for Jalen. So I would go with a B minus because I think he made the all star oh, wow. team, right? He's been a good player, but I don't know. I just feel like lately there's been a little bit of a slump. Maybe I'm being too harsh on him. But I just, I don't know, like he's great. And then he he was, he wasn't good to begin the season. He was great. And then now recently he's been in sort of this tailspin. Well, let me ask you this, Brian, before I migrate, like, are you, are these grades on like, based on like what Jalen's expectations are for the year? It's like not like a different, yeah, that's what I I was doing the same thing, just a specifier. So yeah, Yeah. I think I go a little less harsh on Jalen. I, I probably go. Uh, you probably just talked me into. I was gonna go B plus, but you talked me into a B just with some of those numbers there now because it was for as good as he was in December and parts of January. He was that. It was that rough at the think in November here, and we're kind of getting back to that. It's like if you if you're gonna do a graph of this season for him, it'd be like a couple of valleys and then a really high peak, and then it comes. It's kind of kind of been crashing back down to earth here in February, and so. But by and large, it has been more good than bad. The three point shooting is the one area to kind of keep a lot an eye on there because the that's uh you know thirty three percent last year thirty four percent now this year. Luckily the volume has gone down, so that's and he's still shooting forty nine percent from the field, which means he's he's hitting the mid range, he's hitting stuff at the basket now. But that's kind of a dicey number when um you know teams are going to obviously be giving giving him that shot as the as things tighten up here um in the playoffs roll around around um but yeah I do think I I'm still encouraged by the fact that he did he is making more of the right plays now. Um, it isn't pretty. Uh, the handle questions are still there and they pop up more and more depending on like where he is in the scope of the season. But by and large, he's his usage is down. He's kind of bought into the team first concept here and and realizing that, OK, I've got Porzingis around me. I've got Derek White who's breaking out like I don't need to shoot as much. Um, and so there's been fewer and fewer of those games where you're like, oh, Jalen, why, why are you taking that shot when you can uh, even better shot is a couple passes away here. So uh steps in the right direction but certainly um you have to hope if you're the Celtics that one of these you know slides doesn't come in the postseason because then that that's when things would get really dicey for this team yeah and thanks for asking me that question because I should clarify I'm doing this like on what I expected Jalen to be and I had expected him to be slightly better than he is like I, I didn't expect the stretch that he had for so long this season in December where he was just like man this is the best he's ever played I just the consistency isn't always there with Jalen. That's why I had him at the B minus. And recently, like the turnover issues, like I thought the my and I know it's one specific game, but I thought he was horrible, even though he had twenty points against Miami and the whole Duncan Robinson thing. I, I don't know. What did you think of his answer on that? Like I thought that was like I don't know, Jalen. Like that was a little bit of a dangerous play. Yeah, I mean, I think it was you know it's posturing for him. Like you know he's of anyone who's had to deal with the Heat over the years, like he's probably taken the worst hits from them. Um, oh, yeah. in those spots. But yeah, I don't like if you're it's still it wasn't a great look for anyone involved, I don't think, in that whole situation. And so um but yeah, I and as far as the response after the play, like not great. Like a few of those plays on the court after that, it was like Tatum kind of bailed him out at the end of that game as opposed to Jalen uh entering the call to that uh showdown. Yeah. Okay, so Porzingis, big thing with him recently since the start of January, forty four point two percent from deep pre January, he was thirty two point three percent. That was like the only thing he wasn't doing offensively, hitting threes. Now he's been doing that since the start of January. Most efficient post player in the NBA. Roll man, he's in the 78th percentile. And the big thing is they don't get to the rim without him on the court. Like we always talk about the rim frequency with the Celtics. 31.1% with him on the court, which is not a high number, but it's up 4.7 percentage points. Only the Warriors are south of that on the season, that 26.4%, which would be when he's not on the court. And then the defense with him. When he's on the floor, opponents are shooting 50.1% from two-point territory. The Wolves are first in the NBA at 50.3%. And then when he's off, it's still good. But the other thing I would say, and this is not a basketball thing, because the basketball has been awesome, and I do think that I can't wait to see him in the postseason, is he just loves being a Celtic. Like, he loves being (laughs) on the team. He's best friends with Jalen. You see him, like, even on the bench last night. Like, by the way, I think he may be, like, the the best-dressed person in the city. The guy's got a... (laughs) <laughs> amazing like get ups i get he misses a lot of games so he's got to be prepared but i think he just loves being on the team he he ta- was talking about like how it means more here i think he's just happy to be out of like for lack of a better term basketball siberia like no- nobody was watching him when he was playing in washington despite putting up great numbers like he quietly has been good for like 
three years here. So the I would dock him slightly. I would give him an A minus just because based on my expectation, he only played in 40 of the 55 games, which you kind of expected with Porzingis. But the reason I, I say that is they're being very careful with him, which I applaud them for doing. Just get this guy to the postseason. But like every time he goes down, I'm kind of like, oh, geez, is this it? And like the other day when he goes off or whatever it is, like what was at the back? I'm like, how serious is this if he's right back in? Like I almost feel like some of these are in his head. Yeah, he's definitely, I mean, his durability is, I think, probably like his main drawback against him outside of maybe like his perimeter defense heading into this year uh, in terms of where your your list of concerns are about him. But I don't know, this is, uh, like you said, the, the team first concept he's bought into, like, I think everyone was kind of wondering, like, oh, how is he going to, is he going to be okay with being a third option? The, and the answer has been a resounding yes. And not only is he good of it, he's probably more efficient than Joe Mazzulik would have ever dreamed about. Um you know, just kind of crushing his field goal uh, percentages, like for, I think it's up to 53%, 63% from two point range. Like these are like crazy numbers, uh, given how many of those are, are, you know, mid range jump shots. And the three point shooting has come around, like you mentioned. And defensively, he's just been better than I expected. And like you said, the, the, the rim numbers kind of speak for themselves there, but he's held them on. There's, there haven't been any really any teams that have been able to, play him off the floor at any point. And that's going to mean not that that's hard to do in the regular season. That maybe might be a, a point of emphasis. Like he's going to get put to a test in a six or seven game series on that front. But by and large, his offensive impacts are far outweighing like the, the defensive drawbacks. And, and for my, in my mind, that makes him an A. I feel like this is, it's hard to envision him playing much better than this. Are there player areas he can improve? Sure. But realistically, this is as good as the Celtics could have hoped for. And now it's all a matter of like, is he going to be in one piece here in April and May? Yeah, that's a big thing. And I just get worried about it. I, I've made the comparison multiple times. It just reminds me of Gronk. Like, just get him there. Because if he's yeah. there, I feel like the Celtics are going to win the championship if he's healthy. I mean, we see it against Miami. Like, Miami doesn't have any... Bam can't cover him. And Bam's one of the most versatile defenders in the NBA. But you know what Bam's not? Seven foot... Three, three <laughs> like he can just shoot over him, right? As great as Bam is. All right, so we can run through the backcourt. Um, I'll, I'll run through both backcourt guys quickly here, and then we'll get your backcourt guys, then we do the coach. So Derek White, plus 430, first in the NBA, plus minus Tatum second, by the way. How about the fact that this this is what stuck out to me. This is via cleaning the glass. The defense is 6.8 points per 100, better with him on the floor. Jaron Jackson Jr. won the DPOY last year. 5.5 points better. Again, Derek White, 6.8. Marcus was at 2.0, his defensive player of the year season. I'm not saying he deserves to win it. I'm just saying, like, it's crazy for a guard to have this type of impact on the defensive end of the floor. Obviously, the three-point attempts are up this season, and he's shooting 39.7%. He's been great as a pick-and-roll ball handler. And in the fourth quarter, he's automatic. 51.2% from the floor, 44% from deep. He's been awesome for this team. He's been better than I thought. Like, I may have been the highest person on Derek White. He's been better than I could have even imagined with how well he's played. He had that one stretch where he wasn't shooting well. And that, I mean, we blame J.J. Redick for that. He went on his podcast. Since then, he's come out of that. And he's been phenomenal. So I think Derek White has been awesome. Based on what I expected, I'll give him an A. Because I was... Like, I think a lot of people would give him an A+. plus. I'll give him an A because I expected him to be great with Marcus out of the equation in more time. Drew, I give him a lot of credit because his shots are way down by almost, what, four, almost five a game. His lowest field goal attempts since his rookie season, 10.5, but he's hitting a career best 44% from threes, which is 11th in the league. 5.9 rebounds, which is top 10 for guards. And I think it's actually higher than that because some of the guys that get on the guard list are like not really guards. Like Scotty Barnes is listed as a guard. He's like six foot eight. Like, I don't get how that works. But anyway, either way, 4.8 assists. When he's hit four more threes, he's done it eight times. The Celtics are eight and oh. So I'll give him the a solid B plus because I do think at times like his defense, as versatile as he can cover so many different positions, I do feel like at times he struggled with like the smaller, quicker guards. And like, I know it's like a guy that could win the MVP in, in Shea, but like he had nothing for Shea in that game. Not that many people do have an answer for Shea, but I'd give him a solid B and I give him a ton of credit for like, this is a guy that's been a champion. He's the only guy on the team that's been a champion and it seems like he doesn't care. He just, he just wants to win and he's sacrificed more than anybody on the team. It's true. And he's in a contract year on top of it. Yeah. So like, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. Sacrifice of that. So it's like, um, 
but yeah, like defensively, I think it's a really good point. But yeah, like he's he's almost better off like guarding, you know, and they've they've used the times, you know, guarding him against the the tough forward matchup or RC even like experiment with like Randall and Embiid at times because it is. It's like at this stage, I think if it, you're dealing with like a a really shifty point guard, you're almost better off with like White than Drew on him at this point of their careers. Um so yeah, but beyond that, um, I mean, he's leading the team in three point shooting at forty four percent, Brian, which is I was not <laughs> expecting that. I'm pretty. I mean, granted, these are the the widest open shots of his entire career, probably by a mile, but like he's hitting them, and yeah. that's all he's doing. He's like he's playing a three point specialist, and that's that's just fine. And his finishing at the rim was kind of iffy at points early in the year, but that's even come around too lately, as well as you know the post ups when he when he want, when he needs them against the small guy, those are there too. So for for a thirty three year old kind of that got thrown into all this uh, at the beginning of October, the whole new situation. It was a little bit easing in here period, but I'm going with an A minus here because the, while the defensive numbers um, against the guards is kind of iffy at times, like offensively, he's giving you what you need right now and accepting it willingly. And we aren't having many of like, Oh, Marcus, why did you take those shot moments? Like Drew has like one or two of those every couple of weeks, as opposed to like every night. And that's a pretty, and he's also shooting 44% on as opposed to 33%. So that, that makes a pretty big difference too. Yeah. And Andrews is, uh, uh, his wow moments are usually like the passes he throws. It's like, whoa, what, 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 who yeah, was, right? that, <laughs> who was that intended for? I assume you have an A on white or at least an A minus. Yes. And on white. Yeah. White's an easy A. It's, it's it's one of those things where I mean, we talked about this last year. You're like, oh, what could have been? Like, what if they just kind of yeah. gave him the keys to the car one season earlier, or at least like not even you know sitting Brogdon and or Smart at the end of games of where where things might have been differently now. But for him to come along as much as he has offensively, and even with that that slump there, I mean, in the middle of the season, he's still at forty percent from three. So it's like able to withstand that. He had, it, was a, it was a pretty rough stretch shooting-wise, but it's weird now when he just has a bad game because you're just so not used to seeing it. And they are, they are do pop up here or there, but then he, he bounces back with four or five efforts where even if he's not stuffing the box score, he's just doing a lot of little things where you're like, okay, that's you hit the shot at the right time there in the fourth quarter or you ran the pick and roll well in this situation or made the block at the rim when this team needed them to. So intangibles-wise, numbers-wise, it's an easy aid there and it's... a, a if as far as like big stories this season, he's like I feel like one A or one B um, as far as what's important in terms of this team's title chances right now. Yeah, and he's just such a good decision maker. And him and Drew, like when they use those guys as screeners, like as the role men, they always make the right decision too. And lately with White too, he's got his floater game going again, which is when yeah. he came over from San Antonio. That was that's like what he was known for. He wasn't a three point shooter, and now he's get that back as well. All right, B Rob, before we let you go, the coach. So Joe Mazzula. Two things I want to point out that I give him a ton of credit for this year, using the post-ups where they're second in post-up possessions compared to 24th, they're first in points compared to 23rd. They're the best post-up team in the NBA, and the Nuggets are in the league, right? So I give him credit because they have Porzingis, and they're using that, and Tatum. They're using Tatum in the post. The other thing I'd mention in terms of Missoula is the Celtics don't force turnovers. They're actually last in the NBA forcing turnovers, but what they do do is they don't foul. They're second in that category. That's a coaching thing. And then they found a way to create extra possessions without having their opponents turn it over. They're now ninth in the NBA in second chance points at 14.9. Last year, they were 22nd. So that has worked for them. They're third in defense, and they've decided we're just going to give up the most above the break threes in the NBA. I'm sure a lot of that is based on who they're giving them up to, too. So the defense has worked out. The one question I'd have, this is like where I got to control myself with Joe, is the other night, like they had the, the game against the Nets, the first one, the Tuesday night game. And they mm. were playing the zone. And it, three out of the four possessions, the Nets got an open three. And then I'm thinking to myself, well, Cornette's on the floor. So maybe what Joe is doing here is saying, hey, like, if we play Luke in the playoffs, maybe this is what we're going to do. So I think it's like in the regular season, because they're running away with East right now, knock on wood, that continues. But he's like, all right, I got to experiment with this. And I would say the same thing about, like, at the end of the Heat game, I was getting pissed because I'd said, hey, the pick and roll with White and Porzingis is their most efficient play. And for some reason, it's like, wait, wh why aren't we running this? Instead, we're like Jalen's handling the ball. So I'm wondering if they're experimenting with things. So that's my question is like going into the postseason in the fourth quarter, five minutes left. Are they going to be like, hey, you know what? 
the best play isn't for Tatum here. The best play is actually for Derek White or Kristaps Porzingis, and it's not for Jalen or Tatum. Like, will they actually do that? So that's my question, but I feel like I have to wait until the postseason to figure that out because maybe he's experimenting with things. So all in all, I mean, he just got his 100th win on Wednesday. I'd give him an A-. minus. Like, I think he's been better than he was last year. Yeah, certainly a lot of strides there. I'm I'm with a B plus for him. Um, since like you said, the you like to see the experimentation, trying different wrinkles defensively. But we really didn't see any of that last year. So that's a big growth for him there. Offensively, they're doing they're finding other ways to win games, whether it's especially particularly doing with their shift in mentality on the offensive glass, crashing from the corners, kind of instilling that in the guys. That's good too, along with the post up stuff. But like you said, the, the end of game stuff for me is still the big area. And I we have not seen enough growth in that. And how much how much you put on Tatum and Brown for that versus the coach, and that that's that's subject to debate. But in my mind, like there have been maybe four or five games this year where those situations have been mismanaged. Yep. And whether it was holding the ball way too long to settle for a bad shot at the end of the game, or maybe even just not running anything period um when you have all these extra options on the floor now Porzingis and White it's like okay you have these options use them and if you aren't going to call a timeout then they might like show that your team can do it and if they're not capable of doing that like then you have to use the timeouts Joe so that's like that's a situation where you know you, you go back and forth in the timeout to be all year and it's like I'm all for not calling a timeout or you catch a team off guard but if you just don't call a timeout and you you dribble the ball for 15 seconds and settle for a pull up three and a in a tie game that's like, what are we doing here? What, what have we not learned from the last two or three years? And so right. that is ultimately, Brian, I feel like that is going to be the difference for this team in the playoffs. Now it's like, are they there? You're guaranteed to have more of those games. They're 50, 50 on the front and everyone points to the big, like crunch time numbers or the clutch time numbers. Oh, they're like 16 and eight. And in those games, well, it's like, well, that includes the games when they're up by 15 and they win by like five. And like, so those will fall in that category too. Where if you're, you're looking straight, like one possession games down the stretch, this team is still, I think 50, 50 at best in that front. And I think they're also need, need to do better there. Yeah. And when you look at the Denver game, the first Minnesota game that went to overtime, right? Yeah. The OKC game, like those Golden games. State. That, yeah. Golden state. These are like good teams that they're losing to. And to your point, that's when it's like the, the big issue I have with that is like the no timeout thing is I don't go as crazy as other people do, but the one thing that, that, I just can't understand is they don't have a resume of making the right decisions, right? This isn't LeBron at the end of the (laughs) game, right? Like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have made poor decisions late. Now you have Derek White and you have Kristaps Porzingis, right? I'm not saying they have to be the guys every time, but it's like Joe's actually good after timeouts. This team has been number one or number two after timeouts the past two seasons. So that means Joe is actually dialing up some good plays. So that's the thing that's like, okay, it'd be one thing if like, if it was Luca, okay, let Luca like do his thing, but it, I just wish that they would be willing to do more things at the end of games. And that's the whole reason Porzingis is here, because the offense struggled in late game opportunity. So we'll see if that changes in the postseason. But all in all, it's been an incredible start for the Celtics. That is Brian Robb from Mass Live and Still Potable. B-Rob, thank you so much for the time, man. Really enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of the season. Enjoy the All-Star break, man. Put your feet up. Take a little break. (laughs) It'll be fun. It'll be nice to recharge the batteries here because I think we got a, a long few months ahead here, Brian. But it'll be fun. Thanks for having me as always here. No doubt about it. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. All right, so I'm looking at two guys for the MVP. So if you look at Giannis, he's at plus 700 right now. And let's say hypothetically, like Giannis is having an incredible statistical season. If the Bucks end up with the number two seed, it'll be because Giannis has a really good post-All-Star break and he's already had a great season. So plus 700 is really good value. And the other guy I'll throw out there is just Tatum because Tatum right now is at plus 6,000. He's the best player on the best team. That's the argument. So if things kind of stay status quo, I still think that Jokic ends up winning the MVP. But as we look at the way that Tatum's been playing lately. Maybe he can make a late push and for plus 6,000, might as well put a little bit down on that. But I do like as a long shot, Giannis at plus 700. And I would put that in now because I do think those odds are going to go down for Giannis based on how he's been playing. And I do think the Bucks are going to go on a little bit of a run here after the All-Star break. That's 150 bucks back if your bet doesn't win. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, 
live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Must be 21 plus in presidents like states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from B-Rob. Always enjoy chatting Celts with B-Rob. So I'll just do a little bit on the bench here in terms of their grade, and I'll sort of grade this as a unit. So if you look at some of the numbers on the bench, 28.5 points per game, which is 28th, but that's not their assignment, right? You don't want the Celtics bench to be high in scoring because you have such a great starting five, so you don't expect that to be the case. So how efficient is the bench, right? So the bench is 47% from the field, which is six in the NBA, 38.4% from three-point territory, which is third, 5.2 offensive rebounds per game, which is third. That's important. They're creating more opportunities, right? And we're talking about the Brissettes, the Pritchards. We'll get to that in a second here. And they're plus 180, which is first in the NBA. New Orleans is second at plus 136. Now, part of that is they're playing with a lot of the starters when they're out there, right? Like, it's not an all-bench unit, but they're helped by the starters. But I think for what you've asked the Celtics bench to do, I would give this group an A-. minus. I can't, like, go all the way A because there's been some up and downs with certain guys, but I would give it an A-. minus. It's been a solid bench. They're shooting the shit out of the ball. They're getting offensive rebounding. They're getting offensive rebounds. They're doing what you ask them to do. Okay, so we can start with Al. Al's back over 40% from deep after a slow start. Since the start of December, 51 of 121 from three-point territory, 43.8%. Minutes are down, which is awesome. I give Missoula credit for this by almost three a game. So you're going to get him fresher in the postseason compared to what we've seen in previous seasons. And he's averaging 8.9 rebounds per 36. That's up from 7.3 last year. 1.4 blocks per game, or per 36, I should say. That's up from 1.1. So that tells you, you have a more active player in Al Horford than you've had in previous seasons because he's fresher, right? So in terms of the mileage, this is about as good as you could possibly ask Al Horford to be. I think he's been phenomenal now. I hope that we don't see the shooting sort of slump that we saw last year in the postseason compared to what we saw during the regular season. That's the thing to watch out for. But I don't think his legs are going to be as fatigued as they've been in previous seasons. Okay, so Al's been really good. As I told you, the bench is in general argument in A-, so I'm not going to go through grades with each of these guys. Peyton Pritchard, two things with him. He hits the glass and the ball pressure has been really good. And I know like when we get into the postseason, there's going to be certain matchups he just can't play in. You can't put him on the court at certain times because teams will hunt him defensively because you don't have a lot of other defenders to go after in terms of you're not going after Drew, you're not going after Derek White, you're not going after Tatum, Brown, etc. He's going to have a bullseye on his back. So I'm saying all this with understanding that at times there's going to be points you can't put him in a postseason game. But for what he, and I'm not saying all postseason games, he's going to play a role in the postseason. I'm just pointing that out. But for what he's been asked to do in the regular season, he's been really good. He had six threes in that game on Wednesday night. He had 28 points. He was awesome. And if you look at it now, he's up to 38% from deep. I thought he'd be at 40% from the season, to be truthful. He's kind of a streaky shooter, but overall, he's been pretty good. The offensive rebound I mentioned has been huge with him. So the Celtics with Pritchard on the court, 17.6 second chance points per 100 possessions. The Knicks lead the league at 17. This is a point guard. Okay, and it's not a coincidence. You see him, he's crashing the glass, all sorts of mayhem. And the Celtics are averaging 13.3 second chance per 100 possessions with Pritchard off the court. That would be 19th in the NBA. So they go from the best rebounding team, offensive rebounding team in the league to 19th in terms of the second chance point. So I think Pritchard has been really good for what you've asked him to do. I think it was important to get him on that contract as long as he's knocking down threes, putting pressure on opponents point guards and sometimes shooting guards and crashing the offensive rebound like he has an identity on this team he's going to push the ball he's going to take open shots he's going to hit threes he's going to crash the glass it's perfect for a guy that's coming off the bench for you okay hauser his assignment is pretty clear like when we're going through all these guys al's assignment play defense hit open threes rebound doing that pritchard his assignment pretty clear pressure the ball offensive rebound hit threes hauser's assignment Hit threes, and he's doing that. 41.2% from deep. 3.7 three-point makes per 36. That's the 10th best mark in the NBA. 
So he knows what his job is. Hey, when I go out there, I got to hit my threes. He's actually in the 96th percentile off of screens. And this is something that I think has been perking up lately. We're seeing him shoot off more movement, which is very difficult to do. Like certain guys are just catch and shoot guys. Like, for example, and this isn't an indictment on this player, but Al Horford, he's not going to run off a screen and take a shot. Sam Hauser can actually run off a screen, fade to his right, and still hit a shot. Like, that is a really, really important skill in the NBA, and it's a skill that a lot of guys don't have. He has it. So that's why he's at 1.47 points per possession off screens. He's shooting 52.8% off the screen. So he's been phenomenal in terms of the shooting, and he's going to he's gonna swing a playoff game for the Celtics. Maybe a couple playoff games where it's like, ah, the offense is kind of stuck in the mud. He comes in and he starts bombing threes, hits a couple. He will do that in the postseason. I guarantee it. And I th- don't think like last year at times he struggled with his confidence because he was, I don't want to say he was in and out of the rotation, but there'd be games where hey, if he's not hitting his shot, he doesn't get as many minutes. Now he's going to get his minutes no matter what. So I give him a lot of credit for that. And I give Missoula credit for that, where he's confident. I think part of that Joe deserves credit for because he's sticking with him in the rotation this year. And by the way, the defense is actually better with him on the floor than off the floor. The offense, the offensive rating with him on the floor is a 123 via cleaning the glass. That's in the 95th percentile. So he's been really good. He's been basically what I thought he was going to be entering the season and actually a little bit better based on some of the movement shooting we've seen. Luke Cornett, I think he's been fine. 9.6 rebounds per 36, that's 39th in the NBA. But if you look at the offensive rebounds per 36, fifth in the NBA. His assignment, hit the glass. And we know he taps the ball out a lot to open shooters. So from a rebounding perspective, he's been fine. And here's the thing about Luke Cornett. Oh, by the way, roll man, he's been awesome. Small sample size, but 1.56 points per possession. That's better than Porzingis. Not to say he's a better weapon than Porzingis. It's just crazy to see those numbers. And here's the thing about him. You have Tillman now. So Tillman eventually is going to play. Obviously, he was dealing with a little bit of an issue when he came over from Memphis. We haven't seen him play in a Celtics uniform. But Cornette is, at best, your third big, and either your fourth or your third big going forward. I'm fine with that. Cornette's been pretty solid for this team. And hey, if there's a postseason series, you're saying hey, we don't really want to play drop coverage. That's why you have Tillman. So you don't have to play Cornette. And Cornette, for a regular season thing, he has his assignment, hit the glass, offensive rebound, contest shots at the rim. He's been pretty good when it comes to that. So he's been solid. And then Brissett, who I think has been underutilized at times, he's this. his assignment is be an energy guy. He's sprinting all over the floor, which I absolutely love, and hit the glass. So 3.2 offensive rebounds per 36 for him. That's the same as Nick's, Nick Claxton at 24th, who's a center. By the way, he's got a career high in assists, too, at 2.6. So he knows what his job is. Hey, when we're in there, I'm going to hit the offensive glass. I'm going to run the floor. He's pretty. He's a pretty good defender as well. So I think all in all, this bench has been pretty solid. And when your starting group is so good, you're not depending on your bench for scoring. But as long as they can come in there and be efficient, crash the glass, this is exactly what the Celtics needed, and we'll see if this continues. And I can't wait to see Tillman. And we'll see what Springer does, how much Springer plays. I mean, I don't know how many minutes they're going to have for him, but it'll be interesting to see what he can do. So, and by the way, one other thing I wanted to mention about uh, about Joe Mazzulla, he's found sort of the on-off splits that work with Tatum off the court. And I mentioned like Jalen's on-off isn't great, but if you look at the lineup, so Porzingis, Derek White, and Jalen off the floor, Tatum and Drew on. That's where he's had Drew play the majority of the minutes with Tatum when they take out the other three starters that keep Drew with Tatum. It's a 128.1 offensive rating, 114 defensive rating, plus 14.1 net. Now, a lot of that is those guys have shooting around him when it's Pritchard and it's Hauser. But then if you look at White, Porzingis, and Jalen on and Tatum and Drew off, that's 114 minutes, 123.3 offensive rating, 103 defensive rating, 20.3 net. So with Jalen, he's got the point guard in Derek White, and he's got the big man in Porzingis. It makes for really efficient offense. And with Tatum, he's going to have an efficient offense no matter what, but you have another playmaker in Drew, another shooter in Drew, and then a bunch of shooters, and we're talking about the Pritchards and the Housers of the role, and even if it's of the world, and Al Horford, or it could be Cornette as a roller. So I think they've done a really good job of sort of figuring out the lineups they want to use throughout the season, because they're basically the whole quarter. They're efficient. Like, Usually teams have, and we've seen this with the Celtics before, when they t- they used to take Tatum out, the offense would just go, not I don't want to say haywire, but it was just not good anymore. Like the offense was not good without Tatum on the floor. This year they've struck that balance. And look, 
Joe is gets a ton of help from Brad by the roster that Brad's built. And if you're going to ask me my grade for Brad, it'd be an A+. plus. He got Porzingis and he got Drew. I mean, come on, give me a break. But anyway, it just it's much more balanced than it's been in years past when Tatum goes to the bench. Like monitoring the on-off numbers for Tatum, we don't have to really do that anymore because of the depth of this team. One other Celtics note I wanted to get to real quickly here is, so I watched the Cavs and the Bulls because the Cavs have been so good. Great game. I had that. I actually, by the time the third quarter rolled around for the Celtics, I put the Cavs and the Bulls on the main TV and I had the Celtics on the bottom TV because the Celtics game was such a blowout by, I mean, it was a blowout in the first quarter, but that game came down to the wire. Kobe White was awesome for Chicago in that game on Wednesday and they were kind of going back and forth with the Cavs and that's a game that the Cavs easily could have lost, but this kind of shows you what type of team they're at where now they did get, and I don't want to get in too much into the weeds because you guys don't care as much about the Cavs and the Bulls, but in that game, there was a bullshit call on Alex Caruso late that gave Donovan Mitchell two free throws. But the point is, the Cavs won the game. They're right now the second best team of the Eastern Conference. At least they're playing the second best right now. The Knicks are dealing with the injuries. I told you, I do fear the Knicks because of OG and Anobi. He's going to be coming back from an injury. But that's a wing guy that can take out a wing. That does scare me a little bit. With the Cavs, here's an interesting thing. So they, what happened with this team is... Evan Mobley and Garland were dealing with injuries. They took off when that happened with Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen. So since Mitchell has come back, or since Garland and Mobley have come back, you thought, okay, maybe there's going to be some issues. There really hasn't been. Now, part of it has been minutes limits and all that. But if you look at their numbers with Allen and Mobley on the court together this season, a 108.6 defensive rating, that's the same as the Wolves, who would be the best in the league. So they're really good with those two guys in the court defensively. Now, offensively, a 113.2 rating, that that would be 23rd. So their offense has not been great with the two bigs on the floor. But something's changing with this team. Mobley is now taking threes. And you may say this isn't too much, but he's hit at least one three in five of his last seven games. And the point is he's taking them. He never used to take them before. So that's something I'm monitoring down the stretch of the season here in terms of if I respect the Cavs as an opponent for the Celtics in a series. I still don't think they have like a shutdown... A guy that, like Ananobi, well, not many teams have an Ananobi, but a guy they can put on Tatum and Jalen Brown. I still don't see that with this team, but they could get away with playing two bigs, playing Allen and Mobley, if Mobley continues to take threes, right? Because Allen's not going to take threes. He actually hit that little mid-ranger, but if Mobley takes threes, it makes things a little bit different because he can guard down and he can be switchable. So I think that's one of the most important things to sort of monitor down the stretch of the season if he's willing to take threes, because if he is, well, then you can play him with Jared Allen. If he's not taking threes and if he's not hitting threes, you can't really play those two together because the offense is just not going to be nearly good enough. And I do think like in a series, the Celtics would dare Mobley to shoot. Even if he continues to take more threes, I do think they will dare him to shoot. We've seen this over and over. Like sometimes it works for the Celtics, like they'll be like, hey, Ben Simmons, you want to hang out there? We'll play Hacka Simmons, whatever. Giddy burned him, even though we've seen other games this season where, for example, I was watching the game against Dallas, what was that, last Saturday, where Dallas, right after the trade deadline, steamed OKC. Dallas did the same thing the Celtics did, except Giddy didn't hit shots that game. So teams will continue to do that to Giddy throughout the season. That's my point, is I think the Celtics will dare Mobley to hit shots. But the thing with this team, like, obviously Mitchell's having a great season. He career high in assists and rebounds to go along with 28.4 points per game. Garland always scares me. I feel like he's tough to keep in front of keep in front of you. And with Mitchell, Mitchell's had some big games against the Celtics. Here's the other thing with this team. Sam Merrill is shooting the ball like crazy, 44.2% from deep. That guy's been awesome for them. And he gets up a ton of shots. And then Struess. So Struess is only shooting 33.6% from deep. But actually, if you look at the impact numbers, the Cavs are outscoring teams by 7.2 points per 100 with Struess on the court, that's in the 85th percentile. So it's sort of just like, even though he's not shooting the ball well, it's his reputation, right? Where guys are going to stick with Struess. Like if Struess comes off a screen, a defender's sticking with Struess because of his reputation as a shooter, even though he's not shooting the ball well. So the fact that he's been a good shooter for a number of years, teams are still guarding him out there. So right now the Cavs, I'm still not sold that they could compete with the Celtics just because of that Lack of a wing defender like that you now Okoro has been better for them too. So maybe Okoro is the guy you would point to. I'm monitoring this team though because the Mobley development here taking threes is just a really interesting one. Okay, a lot more.
to get into. Coming up next, we'll bring in producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm great, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm ready for the All-Star break, ready yes. for All-Star Saturday night, see if Jalen can win the dunk contest. Before that, though, I do have one prediction for the All-Star weekend, thanks to our friends at FanDuel. I'll get into that in a second. But before that, let's get to an email. That email address is pike at gmail.com. Who do we got? Um, this is from Eddie from Peabody, Mass. My hometown. To you, yes, exactly. You may um, know this, this Eddie. <laughs> there, uh, there's been a lot of this talk. It's just... Belichick is definitely still the talk of the town. This is about how things ended with him and Kraft. He writes, The press conference with Kraft and Belichick was window dressing at best. From that show and from his comments days later, it was never more evident that Kraft is only concerned about the perception and removing himself from any wrongdoings during the Belichick years. Amazing that he admits no mistakes. He's the owner, has all the money, and decides how it was spent and to whom it was going to. Uh, he owns it and does not want to be held accountable for anything. Incredible. And then he writes, um, and as for the clean sweep regarding the coaching staff, it's hardly been the case. Uh, Kraft handpicked Mayo, and everyone coming on board has Patriots ties. Uh, it's unlikely that Harbaugh would have wanted the job, but there was no attempt by Kraft to even look for an upcoming innovative uh, NFL assistant coach or even a successful college coach. Hopefully, uh, Kraft's Belichick bashing days are behind him now. Belichick is not to blame for the staff that is in place moving forward. Finally, Kraft is on the hook, and he can't blame anyone else for the Patriots not getting it done. What do you make of those comments? So I agree with pretty much everything you said. And you've heard me. How many times have I mentioned <laughs> yeah. the Belichick smear campaign since Bill left? And see, this is the thing about Kraft. He better be right about Mayo. And as yeah. a Patriots fan... I obviously want him to be right. I want the Patriots to be good. I don't want the Patriots to be a bad team. But what Kraft has essentially done with the moves he's made or hasn't made, I should say, like if we look at the coaching staff, it's basically, so he promoted his own guy in Gerard Mayo, and then basically the guy that was in here as whatever his title was before, but basically Elliot Wolf is running things. He's basically the GM at this particular point in time. He's the lead football decision maker. We know this, right? So he's brought his old friends to basically be the head coach, be the assistant coaches on this team. When we're talking about Van Pelt as the offensive coordinator, we're talking about McAdoo for him to come in with this huge menu. And they'll uh, like, it looks like a menu. I think Mike Lombardi is the one that made this comparison to the Cheesecake Factory <laughs> menu. That's what it looks like when he's holding his thing. And we talked about the suits. But so basically what Kraft has done here, he hasn't, he didn't replace the front office, right? He's just promoted Elliot Wolf essentially to be the, Decision maker. With Gerard Mayo, basically he's kept guys on the staff like Demarcus Covington. And I have no problem with that. I'm just saying they've kept guys on the staff or they've brought in friends of Elliot Wolf. That's essentially what they did. And they did bring in a former Patriot in Dante Hightower, which I like. But this is Kraft essentially saying he wants his team back. That's what it is. He didn't want to deal with Bill's power anymore. But I would say this, and it's Kraft's team, so he has the choice to do whatever he wants to do. But his choice was to not interview anybody because he yeah. didn't want, to Eddie's point, he didn't want Jim Harbaugh to come in and put a staff together. And Jim Harbaugh probably didn't want the job anyway based on the, the where this team was at. Mike Vrabel, he didn't want Mike Vrabel to come in and put his staff together. He wanted Gerard Mayo and he could control everything that was going on with Gerard Mayo as a first-time head coach. So I completely agree that this is now on craft. Hey, this team sucks for four years after this. I don't want to hear the shit about Bill. 
This is now on you, right? Yeah. You have the third pick. You have a chance to take a quarterback. If you take the wrong quarterback or you fuck up the quarterback, we're not talking about Bill anymore. We're not saying it's Bill's fault, right? That's we're right. not blaming Bill. We're not leaking all the shit out about Bill and Mac's relationship and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, let me be clear. I'm not saying that Bill does not deserve a ton of blame for what has transpired since Tom Brady left the organization. And we're going to watch the documentary coming up for Tom leaving the organization. I'm not yeah. saying that at all. I'm just saying Kraft has consistently been the guy that doesn't want any blame and wants all the praise. Well, now you have, you're subject to blame now, okay? Because you have gotten rid of the guy that you have been blaming for years for everything that's gone wrong with the organization. I, I Totally. This is definitely on him in terms of uh, this coaching switch up. And I, I, I hear you in terms of, I, I imagine the, the pendulum swinging, like he was, you know, Bill was such a powerful coach. I'm sure he does want someone a big greener that uh, he'll have more influence over. The one thing I'll say though, Brian, is yep. pretty good at picking head coaches over his uh, his tenure. He's got what Parcells, Carroll, and Belichick. So if he has a good feeling about Mayo, like I, I don't really know why to doubt him. And beyond that, it's like it's not only is it uh, Kraft's decision. I mean, this is also this is Belichick's guy. Belichick believed in him. So I know you didn't say that you don't believe in Mayo. I just feel like those are some good indicators that this could work out. Yeah. The one thing I'll say is like. The Parcells situation, uh, he was already established, right? Parcells yeah. had already won two Super Bowls, right? So it wasn't like, hey, I found this guy right. out of nowhere, in the right? And the Parcells situation, whether you want to blame one side or the other, it ended up in a mess to the point in the Super Bowl talking about his job status in 96. Yeah. Like Still that was the Super Bowl. The, right. And I'm too young to remember that, but that <laughs> was the controversy. I know the story. Like they were yeah. talking about his job status at the Super Bowl. We had Ted yeah. Johnson on. He said, yeah, I'm pissed about it. It was a huge distraction because everybody's talking about Bill Parcells' contract. He was right. mad. Remember, the gro that's the famous groceries comment. So it didn't end well with Parcells. That's why he decided he was going to give Bill all this power, right? Because he's like, hey, I'm not getting in the football yeah. side of things because I, it didn't work out with the last guy talking about Bill Parcells. And then and like some of the picks that, I forget who it was, but there were some picks that like Parcells wanted and it wouldn't have worked. But anyway, I don't want to digress too much on that. Pete Carroll, he's a good coach after here, but he wasn't good here, right? <laughs> and that team had gone to a Super Bowl in 96. Yeah. Pete Carroll comes in, and I think they made the playoffs like the next two years or whatever, wants, yeah. but then they then they That's fall right. off and they bring in Belichick. So yeah, he nailed the Belichick hiring. I do like the fact that he's like, oh, my biggest regret is not hiring Bill right after that. It's like, okay, man. Yeah, you knew, man. You knew, <laughs> knew Kraft. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he gave him a first round pick for Bill, so he knew he something. Did. He did. Yes, great hire. I give him a ton of credit for that. But yeah, it will be interesting to see like how Kraft is now remembered after moving on from Bill Belichick. And he, he deserves no blame for the Brady thing, right? I mean, come on. It was time to move on, Brian. We, we, we can say that. Yeah, well, I mean, Kraft doesn't want any blame for Tom movie. Though, you know, he's such an innocent bystander. It's the guy, I don't know, that owns the team and makes the check and <laughs> pays the check. Such an yeah. innocent bystander, but whatever. I, 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 I'm just sick and tired of the... <laughs> like this, Belichick was, is the greatest coach in NFL history. Did he have a bad ending? Yes, he had a terrible ending. But he also is one of the main two reasons you won six Super Bowls, right? Yeah. He's the second most important reason for why you won two or won six Super Bowls. Obviously, Brady being the most important, Belichick being number two on that list, right? And so like this, this whole, th like I just, I feel sad for like how Bill is talked about now. And I feel bad for what, how the crafts have basically smeared them publicly, mm -hmm. like not publicly themselves, but all these leaks that they're putting out there. I don't know. It just makes me mad that it's like ending this way for Belichick. So that's why I was like, I wanted to get a job so bad because I wanted to like, he's pissed and now he's not coaching. So I'm pissed. I, I hear you. I just, I just feel like the things that also made me mad, Brian was frankly how Bill Be Belichick ran the team the last few years. That also really pissed me off. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Like Bill, it was probably time to move on from Bill. I don't, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. Yeah. And and as I said, Bill had a lot of screw ups over the past couple of years, oh. and the whole Brady thing. And we're going to see in the documentary how bad that relationship was. He deserves a ton of blame. Yeah. I'm just saying, like this whole craft is craft is like craft is a victim. He's not a yeah, victim, I man. You own the team. Okay, before we go, so I got our greatest boss in better of the week, and I'm going. To the all-star game okay right. not the all-star game saturday night and it's not jalen so the three-point contest one of the things and i may, may be wrong on this but what i've realized over the years like going back to jason capono back in the day when he won the three-point <laughs> yeah. contest right clay thompson has won the three-point contest 
Pasia. It's usually guys that are set shooters, right? Larry Bird. It's usually not guys that are jump shooters, right? So if you look at the odds for this up on FanDuel right now, mm. Lillard has the shortest odds at plus 370. No, he ain't winning, okay? Halliburton, he's the hometown player, of course, for the Pacers, plus 440. Okay. Trey Young, plus 550, okay? Mm. Trey Young, that's a jump shooter, though, okay? Halliburton, I don't even know what the fuck you call his shot. It goes in, that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. Beasley, plus 650, he's been on fire this year. Brunson at plus 700. Towns at plus 700 is interesting. He's a set shooter. I like that from Carl Anthony Towns, plus 700. Kind of fun. Here's the one I really like, though. Markkinen at plus 800. Mitchell's at plus 950. I like Markkinen. Markkinen is one of the best catch-and-shoot players in the entire NBA. I could see him getting red hot. He's he's one of these guys that the jump shoot, like the shot, there's not a ton of work to it, right? Like he doesn't have to jump up and down. He picks it off the thing and he throws it right up. There are a lot of these other guys are going to get tired. They get fatigued because they're smaller players. Markkinen being plus 800, the second longest odds to me, yeah. that's an interesting play. I like that play, and I think I'm going to play that on Saturday night to make All-Star Saturday at least interesting. I like this, Brian. I like this for a twofold. First of all, it's an interesting wrinkle that I'm going to have to do the research, see if this bears out. But if it does, the second longest odds, you might as well take a flyer on that. I like that. Yeah, and I feel like now, I, I don't even, I shouldn't even say I feel like, but if you look at recent history of the NBA All-Star game, and we kind of mentioned this the other day. By the way, they have this like LED light. I don't know. I think it's going to oh, be distracting. Oh, I saw this. Have Crazy. you seen that? It's kind of weird, man. Totally. Um, so the point being is essentially like since I would say now I mentioned Levine and Aaron Gordon, they kind of saved the dunk contest. I still don't yeah. know how Gordon didn't win. Like Gordon was better than Levine the year they went. They went mm -hmm. head to head the second year. He he was better. Um, but remember when he took it like they had the mascot. He was like like swinging that green mascot was like swinging around on a skate like a hoverboard or something, whatever <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was. Yeah. And he. He somehow like got it. He jumped over the guy like that was insane. But anyway, so my point with that is just the fact that, OK, that was a great dunk contest. But other than that, like the three point contest has become more interesting because yeah, I agree. For, remember when you had Steph versus Clay, like that was super interesting. So I hope the dunk contest can be interesting because Jalen's in it, but I just don't have much hope. OK, so Dame did win it last year, the three point. OK, so that goes against my theory. Carl Anthony Towns won two years ago, okay? Interesting. Then you had Steph Curry, Buddy Heald, Joe Harris, Booker, Eric Gordon. He's a set shooter. Clay Thompson, set shooter. Steph, I mean, Marco Bellinelli won it. Kyrie won it. Kevin, I, I guess it's, I guess I'm really not Where's that Where's my accurate. guy, uh, Paul Pierce? Paul Pierce, yeah, 09-10. He won it. James Jones won in 10-11. Kevin Love, as we mentioned. Daquan Cook won it. Holy shit. <laughs> Jason Capone won it twice. Dirk won it. Yeah, so it's a mixed bag in terms of, I don't know. I'm go Peja won it twice. Yeah. Two in a row. Shooter. Capono, Peja. So I'm going with Markinen. okay? He's got that, you know, that six foot eight, six foot nine frame mm -hmm. shooter type. I'm going with Markinen. Plus 800. I'm not going to overthink this. I like it. Me and Peja Stoyakovic, NBA 2K, when he was on the Hornets, he was money. How about the Kings? Remember when he was on the yeah. Kings? Yeah, that yeah, was the team, man. Team. Well, sure. first they had they, they had white chocolate, Jason Williams, and they traded him for Bibby. It was Bibby, Weber. Yeah, they got robbed. Yeah, that team was good, man. Vladi. Yeah. yeah, they got robbed by the officials. You're right. Totally. Yeah, that team was awesome. I used to have the J the Jason Williams Kings fifty five jersey. That's my cousins jersey. were yeah, my cousins lived grew up right outside Sacramento, so they bought me the jersey one year for my birthday. <laughs> nice. I was pumped. Nice. I'm like, dude, nice. this guy's awesome. All the behind the back <laughs> passes and stuff. Totally. He was a flashy player. All right, Jamie, good stuff, man. Thanks, Brian. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll talk in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP 
to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.com. Org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts, or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 